Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here this wonderful evening to discuss Uncanny by Chris Claremont. Uh, that was Uncanny X-Men number 264, the late July 1990 issue, which was on sale May 15th of 1990 with a cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Hot Pursuit. You, you don't want to take that again? You want to just use that one? I love that one. All I, right. I want to keep it. F- fair, fair. You, you, it's your choice, Adam. It's your choice. Hey, um, I mean, if you've been with us for like 300-some episodes, you know we're not always perfect. Sometimes we would have cut that crap out, but this time, no, we're going for it. We're giving you this behind-the-scenes tour of <laughs> what Danger Room, the Uncanny X podcasts, whatever we're called, is really like. Art is a series of decisions and choices, <laughs> and you've made one, so good on you. Uh, I'm an artist. Yeah, sure. You you create you create and produce content. I mean, other people judge whether or not it's good art. Well, yeah, I mean that's true of all art, right? Yeah. Uh, and I guess let's talk about the cover here. It is a not great Jim Lee cover. It's a classic Jim Lee uh, beast pose. Beast isn't the best of things, but uh, the Jean Grey is pretty solid. It's a pretty good Jean Grey. Yeah, all right. She's she should kind, be the focus. Kind of off in the background. Uh, I, it, something about the inks just don't seem right uh, for this. Or maybe it's just the fact that Beast is in the foreground and he's kind of distracting. And I guess that is a good place to start off, is that the cover of this Uncanny X-Men cover features Beast for some reason. So the only problem with the Beast pose, I like the Beast, like pose i just feel like his head's a little too small yeah i don't like yeah, the head's probably the i think if well and his for, that leg that's uh closest to us that's more shadowed it's, it's kind of a thick leg almost seems like it's yeah. coming out of his neck too it's a it's a weird perspective thing because beast is all like squished up yeah the forge just looks stupid he looks like he's disco dancing back then <laughs> i got Ooh, my guns yeah. gonna go disco dancing tonight and if we know anything about anything, the bad guys on the cover are magistrates. Well, uh, the girl in the background, we, we know her from previous issues. I didn't uh, remember her. The rest, of the, the rest of them are just goons. Yeah. She's one of the press gang. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I remember which one. I not tell you what her name was. <laughs> it's probably like blindside or mind wipe or i don't know they all kind of sound the same I'm fast go with, change or <laughs> swindle hood i'm gonna go with uh what'd you say fast blind <laughs> I, I said uh fast change i don't know what i said okay blindside i'm gonna go with blindside i don't remember to be honest uh because the only one that i remember is um uh, modem man i can't remember fax his machine. name <laughs> fax machine man Fax man. Uh, all right. Yeah, let's open this guy. I mean, covers meh. I'd meh. buy it as a t-shirt. Meh. Meh. It's a classic. Is it? Is it a classic cover? I would like it if, like, I would like somebody to do a flash animation of this cover where the main characters, the four of them, will say that have different colors than just the uh, normal magistrates, where it like zooms out. And then zooms in and you see them all doing their little action thing and it freezes and then it zooms out and it zines in. And then when you get to Forge, he's like the last one. He's just up there disco dancing. Hmm. Ooh, yeah, I'm so cool. I'm Forge. <laughs> and 
Let's open this thing up. It's uh, it's Chris Claremont. Mike Collins is our penciler. Joseph Rubenstein is the inker. Clem Robbins is the letter. And boy, can you tell. <laughs> Mel Yamtov is the colorist again, right? Oof. That just, guy. Just kidding. Actually, poor gal. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Bob Harris is the editor. Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. And even though I don't know Clem and Nell's work... Um, Neither of those two things stuck out as problematic to me. Yep. So they do fine work. Forge. See if there's any uh, particularly lettered. That scratch looks very scratchy. <laughs> it does. This uh, this letter does a little bit more kind of italics, or maybe that's just a style choice for the narration here. Maybe. But uh, it's Forge. He crashes onto a car and he makes the aforementioned scratch noise. As he crashes on a police car. We start this one out with a bang. Yeah, he crashes out in a police car. He, of course, is narrating as he does. Uh, interestingly enough, he doesn't sound like Wolverine anymore, but he sounds more like Kitty Pride. I'll point that out later when we get to it. I can't wait. Does he say scoot? No, that's Wolverine. No, last issue he said scoot. Ah, okay. And uh, he's narrating about Alphabet City, neighborhood on Manhattan's Lower East Side. Island forms a bulge. It sounds gross. <laughs> Guy in my platoon said avenues A, B, and C, and D stood for assault, battery, concussion, and death. He's, as far as, far as he was concerned, Nam was safer. Yeah. His first visit, and he's inclined to believe him. Joey may have had a point. Good old Joey. So we get introduced to some police officers here, and I've got questions about these police officers. I also have questions about these police officers. <laughs> I took some notes, but now as I'm reading, rereading this and looking at my notes, I don't think they line up. But maybe they do. Uh, this is Jonesy. She's, a, she's an African-American police officer, and her partner Murph is with her. Are these RoboCop references? Uh, I mean, Jonesy wasn't a police officer. Wasn't he the head of OCP? Or was he the yeah. chief or something? Maybe. Jonesy Wait. is also the cat alien. <laughs> Jonesy's just all over the place. What was what was the girl's name in Robocop? McTog. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was Jones. It might have been. I was thinking that she was Jones and he was Murph. You might be and right. This, and this was a reference. But at first I was thinking that this woman is the same woman from uh, X Factor. And I meant to go back and look, but I never did. Well, Jonesy, a African-American police officer named Jonesy, will make an appearance in RoboCop. Um, oh. But a white man named Murph does not, which could make sense. I also question whether or not X-Factor came before this issue, which might have made more sense. But uh, uh, Answer, uh, sorry, the answer to who was Murphy's or Robocop's partner is Officer Ann Lewis. Okay. But I th there was a Jones. I, I feel like one of those higher up guys was named Jones. Dick Jones. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Dick Jones. Anyways. So she is Charlotte Jones, and she is the same woman that is hanging out with Archangel in the pages of X Factor. I just looked it up. And okay. It is a fact. Perfect. And they, these two police officers really would like a, an explanation as to why Mr. Forge is crashing on top of their squad car. 
Yeah, it's it's true. Uh, dude, he can't really say anything. He says, understand, uh, they're them. And he points over at what we recognize as kind of, well, we don't really recognize them, but I mean, immediately I kind of knew they were magistrates. Well, the cover gives it away. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's it's a group of magistrates. Uh, and I guess at this point we have to wonder like, wait a minute, the last time we saw the X-Men, they were sitting in Peter Nicholas's apartment with uh, Jenny Ransom and what's his name? Yeah, so this never gets explained. Um, I feel like it does. But okay, briefly. well, that's good because because I mean, he, he says he says something along the lines of I was protecting the X-Men and they came after me. But I don't know what that means. Um, beyond that, I didn't see anything deeper than that. But maybe you did. I'll, I hope you did. If I did and it comes back to me, I'll try to point it out. So cool. if I if it doesn't, then I lied. But I thought that there was one like like a flashback that explained it. But maybe not. I, read, I, I mean, it was so long ago. I read these yesterday. <laughs> I can't be expected to remember these things for more than 24 hours. It was late at night. I was <laughs> drinking a few whiskeys. <laughs> and so Jonesy points out that the little military-looking people are packing. Forge's like, they're after me. And one of the uh, military people is like, hey, we don't want any trouble. We only want the mutie. Jonesy's like, mutie? Murph, look out! And uh, Officer Murphy goes to pull out his pistol, I gather. And Forge stops and says, Officer, no, don't! And that's when these military people shoot Murph. Murph's dead. Well, Murph is going to be recreated as a better machine. They're going to take <laughs> his brain out. And they're going to turn him into some sort of robotic cop, I think. That happens, doesn't it? Isn't that canon? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He turns into Deathlock. <laughs> De- Deathlock was an African-American man. Uh, I believe the current Deathlock is an African-American man. I don't know if he always has been. Hmm. I thought he was, but, but I could be wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a Deathlock lorist. <laughs> you're, you're definitely right that the, the Deathlock that is running concurrently with this issue is an African-American man. I don't think there's Deathlock running concurrently with this at this point, is there? There is. Um, oh, is it the, the limited series? Yeah, the four issue limited series. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna back up a second. I feel like the early '80s because I read read some of these uh, Deathlock before the miniseries when he did a lot of um, uh, cameos with Captain America. I feel like he was a white guy. I also feel like he had no personality. I never read Deathlock beyond the four issue limited series. Well, I think there's two four four issue limited series. I think there's the oh. four issue limited series that kicks off the ongoing series. But then I think That's there's the one that I've read. another four part mini series like that happens before that. I could be wrong though. That doesn't feature the guy that's in the four part mini series you read that leads to the yeah. ongoing story. And that guy's got a family and he's got you know he's a he's he's an actual character he's mm-hmm. and he's partially in control of deathlock and that's good when i was reading some of the early early deathlocks uh uh there's like there's probably a backstory somewhere but the first appearance like he's just there doing deathlock stuff that makes sense <laughs> yeah so maybe later they retrofit his his origin but anyways uh the magistrates blow up the cop car after Forge uh, protects Jonesy. Yeah, because Forge 
realizes that Murph is dead, so he just goes to try and save Jonesy by diving behind the car. And uh, they, the magistrates blow up the car in order to hopefully take them both out. Um, I take the brunt of the impact. Body isn't pleased. Makes no bones about complaining either. Jonesy points out that they're coming. She's like, I'm a police officer. Don't they realize I'm armed? <laughs> I don't, she shoots at one of them. Don't know why she sounds like that, but she does. Eh, you know. <laughs> uh, the, the shot just bounces off of the military guy or the, the uh, magistrate because he's wearing body armor. And Forge is like, no problem. I've got a bigger gun. Shoots him in what looks like the neck. I think he's dead. And he says, that's not a gun. This is a gun. <laughs> Run, the fire will set his ammo off. So uh, if the gun, I guess, didn't kill him, the exploding ammo will? Oh, because he, he shoots the guy into the fiery car, and then the fire lights him on fire. So Forge is counting on the the fire to put his uh, ammo belt not into to an mention, explosive array. Not to mention the fact that his buddies won't be too terribly thrilled by his death. So I wonder, are they just trying to uh, like illustrate that Forge... Forge is a, it's a different breed from the rest of the X-Men, the rest of the X-Men who would do everything that they could do to save somebody. He's kind of like Cable. Yeah. Just a little bit. Doing what he needs to do. Or I guess he came first, so Cable's kind of like him. Yeah, he's just kind of thinking it through, being kind of military-esque and saving lives, you know. Sure. He's a good guy. So everything goes up. It's it's a spectacular explosion, and that's when Jonesy and Forge fall into the Manhattan sewers. It's like Forge was just here. Yeah, last issue. <laughs> what an incredible smell you've discovered, <laughs> says Forge to Jonesy. <laughs> that's when Jonesy pulls out her crossbow and shoots it at the door and it bounces everywhere. Pew, 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 pew. My name's Jones, Forge. I owe you. My pleasure. You're hurt. Trust me, officer, it's not quite as bad as it looks. I got a robot arm. <laughs> leg. Prosthetic leg. Artificial. Still working. Oh, here's the thing. He, uh, Forge thinking to himself, get the lady with one hand. Or get the lady with one hand. Grab for the ledge. Some sort of maintenance walkway with the other. She's scared. So am I. This is very, uh, to me, because Chris Claremont always sounds sort of the same uh, when he's doing his narration. But this sounds like what Kitty Pride would say. She would be kind of describing everything that she was doing as she's doing it and also talking about her emotions. It's not bad. It just reminds me of, I feel like he hasn't quite, I think he's really digging for his like past three issues. He's looking for Forge's voice. So far, he's been bouncing around a lot of voices that he already uses, which is what you do as an author. And I can't, he is who he is, but I don't feel like Forge has a unique voice yet. Right. I feel like some of the earlier narration bits were probably a little Wolverine inspired too. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I get that. Wolverine would never say she's scared, so am I. Yeah. He would say something like she's scared. She got a right to be. Or something <laughs> yeah. like that. But Kitty Pride would say mm -hmm. she's scared, so am I. She spends the next few minutes coughing gunk out of her lungs. Hope she's had her shots. I stand sentry, but nothing stirs. So that's when they introduce themselves to one another, talk about Forge's bionicle leg. Forge does some repairs. Uh, Jonesy's like, I know a cop that has an arm like that. And we get a reference Misty to Knight. Misty Knight. And Forge says, I worked on the designs. Sorry about your partner. 
and then I, I don't get this part. She says, me too. And yet there's the part of me, you know, that's glad that I, he, it wasn't. And then Ford says, I know. I mean, I'm assuming she's saying that she's glad it wasn't her. Yeah, absolutely. It's just clung a clunky. It's super clunky. I don't think that's anything that you would ever say. Maybe you would, I guess. Or or maybe you would start crying and then Forge would be like, what's the matter? I'm like, I just can't help. I feel so bad. I, I, I'm glad it wasn't me. <laughs> right. But not to like to kind of offer it up in that clunky dialogue. I don't know. I, I, I guess it serves Forge because we know that Forge has been through similar things in the Nam. Sure. So maybe it's just for that purpose. So who were those guys, she says? Magistrates, the federal police of the country of Genosha. You want it, man? Depends. There, it's a crime to be a mutant. So, by their rights, I'm a criminal. By their lights, it even says. That must be a mistake. (laughs) But this is the United States. Officer, they don't much care. And this kind of goes back to a couple issues ago where it was Vel Cooper and the Genosian magistrate. We're saying, yeah, we're going to run some missions and you're going to shut up about it. Yep. And the politician guy was like, we don't have a choice. Yep. So, yeah, they're running they're running missions in America where they're just shooting mutants or taking mutants prisoner and shooting at cops. It just doesn't feel like, I don't know, just stay away from the cops. Right. If you want to, like, lay low. I mean, I know you got, like, I don't know special jurisdiction or whatever it is or whatever it is from uh who's a beverly hills cop diplomatic immunity wait yeah is that what it is it's, it's lethal weapon that's lethal beverly weapon. hills cop but oh, whatever that's what i was referring to <laughs> yeah so forge is like we gotta change out of these cold wet clothes and put on sexy x-men uniforms which he happens to have in his bag <laughs> two of them one for him and one for a girl which uh, is weird. Like he had his uh, little gun strap for his waist and a utility belt for Jonesy. He says that it was from Jean Grey. So he it, uh, he just you know they happen to happen to uh, she happens to have the same sizes. Sure. He also changes boots. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> or does no? Does he put his boots? back like does it maybe he takes his no oh, he has sneakers on yeah okay. if, you, if you look at those past panels they're not super clear but i see laces and definitely a different shoe design uh than these boots and so it would make sense to have these boots on like under your jeans or whatever because they do go up to like his knees and have all the f- the i don't know f- frayed material or whatever you want to call that but no this is a different set of boots he had in his little magic pocket <laughs> I buy the magic pocket. Yeah. There's, there, there are such things like that that exist in our world. Uh, sure. It's maybe f- not that, maybe that could, could compress boots, but maybe those are they're like really flimsy boots. That could be. It's And Forge is an inventor, so maybe he's designed some sort of super thin but super armored boot material. Yeah. So, sure, we'll, we'll go with it. So, It'll keep you warm, keep you dry, keep you alive. What's the point? Anyone I know sees me, I'll die of embarrassment. <laughs> so they, the water's rising in the sewers. They know that they can't stay here. So so they're out. Audi 9,000 for 5,000? I don't know. Either one. We flipped over to Washington, D.C., and a cage, the KGB's killer cutie commando, Deb Levin, speeds up to Doc Cooper 
and says, hey, got a minute? And they go talk to Colonel Vazine. Have we seen him before? He was in the last issue. He was the guy that Val Cooper met at uh, Wannabes. Ah, yes. Yes. And uh, he's like, yo, there's like this war coming and there's four factions. Mr. Sinister, Apocalypse, Mutant Liberation Front, and we know the fourth one. It's the Shadow King. So last issue, he knew three of them, but he didn't know the fourth one. Yeah. So, so now, now he knows. Now, now, we, now we're all up to date. We know all four factions. We're getting ready for the mutant wars. <laughs> yes. Um, although, I don't know, like, Mr. Sinister, as far as we know, and really as far as the world should know, wasn't he obliterated by Cyclops? Yeah, he's dead. I'm not sure what his info is. Maybe his intel is better than the X-Men's. I wonder if he... Like, I wonder if the direction of the mutant wars, oh, maybe they would have been like, the Marauders are back. And then like after a little bit of fighting with the Marauders, Mr. Sinister shows back up. Could be. But. I mean, we know the Marauders are still, some of the Marauders are still out there. So, but that never happens. So it doesn't matter. Um, This scene is entirely pointless. Um it basically says exactly what they already said last issue, except that they add in the Shadow King. Was this scene with Cooper and Vazine, was this in last Uncanny X-Men or was it in X-Factor? It was in the last Uncanny X-Men. Okay. okay. We, no, I don't we, know. Cut, we cut over to the uh, the bar wannabes and they had essentially the same dialogue. Um, but now we're getting some key information about the Shadow King, about how he's the ultimate power broker. I mean, we know very little about the Shadow King at this point. Uh, maybe, he, he's met up with the New Mutants. Maybe maybe Bob Harris is like, all right, Chris, come on, speed this thing along. <laughs> we got things to do. We got to, uh, well, it's July, so we've already passed like the summer crossover season, haven't we? The other problem that I have with this conversation is that uh, it's entirely, like Val Cooper says, why are you telling me this? What's this got to do with me? And then he goes on to talk, but he never says what's it got to do with her other than the fact that she's she works for the government. So it's like, duh. <laughs> well, yeah, it, the whole thing ends with consider yourself warned. So why? Exposition dump. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Although there's a there's a little line here where, where he says uh, there will be greater interest in their biological counterparts. Who needs a nuke? When there's a Havoc or a Thor, want to handle on them? The person you go to is you. I wonder... Thanks for telling me stuff I already know. All, I am that person. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. All that aside, I find it strange that anybody in any echelon would know who Havoc is. He's been on TV. Or, or he's put dead. him... He's, he's also dead. Uh, all right. Fair enough. But So in that regard, why would he even bring up Havoc... I also think it's weird that he brings up Havoc in the same uh, sentence as Thor. Outside of this being an uncanny X-Men comic, like Havoc's not a Thor in terms of... I know why. It's because of Meltdown. This guy is somehow connected to whatever happened over in Meltdown, so he is aware of Havoc. Was he connected to that? Yeah, I don't know. He wasn't in Meltdown, but he is is a Russian operative, and wasn't that a... uh, Didn't that take place in Chernobyl? Yeah. So, yeah, he's probably in the loop on something happened with a okay. mutant named Havoc and a mutant named Wolverine and our government. And uh, 
Here's, sure. here's some files on Havoc. Cover it up. He's super dangerous, just like a just like just like Thor. So meanwhile, in Manhattan, in the shadows of the X Factor ship tower. Um, just no, I noticed in this issue that the twin towers are in the shadows of the X Tower. Yeah, yeah. Showing the scale that the, the X Factor Tower is like or the ship is twice the size of the twin towers, almost a little a little greater than twice. Yeah. And in fact, these two people here, um, Tommy and somebody, uh, they're walking around and they're like, look, uh, it's so tall that when it rains down here, they say that it's sometimes not raining up there. That's okay. pretty tall. Yeah. Uh, and, and then they're also shown in the previous panel. You can see where the clouds are forming beneath the uh, the X, as it were. And then they go on to say that they don't like the shadow middle of the day still feel like feels like living in a cave and you know that that is um uh that is good feedback right like if you're living in manhattan or working in manhattan and all of a sudden this gigantic thing is there that's always blocking the sun wouldn't you be like guys gonna have to ask that you move that thing (laughs) i think they have asked and their answer is well we can't (laughs) the ship won't move i don't know that they've asked in the pages of x-factor I know other people in the pages of X-Factor have complained about it. Yeah. Anyways, at the base of the ship, uh, there's a cargo van. A bunch of people jump out and we go up to the top uh, patio, I guess you will call it, of the ship. And Jean is standing there. She is missing her sleeves as she was in the last issue of X-Men. But not in the last issue of X-Factor. But it almost looks like she's wearing a tank top. Like these don't look like they're ripped up sleeves. Yeah, so there's like several memos that did not go out. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't have sleeves. What does that mean? Like she's wearing a tank top uniform? Whatever, just draw it. Beast shows up and he's like, what up? What's going on? You okay? I feel like she's listening into that conversation below. But if that were true, she would know that there are people coming out of the van too. We said last issue, we aren't sure what the level of her telepathy is at this point. Well, if you look... Like, in the distance of this, and I was going to point this out, but forgot, there's, like, something on fire out there. Oh, yeah. In the, <laughs> in the panel that Gene is looking out, oh, I wonder if that's maybe the... Sh- that's probably the explosion of Forge's car. That's a pretty big explosion. <laughs> well, Forge did said, like, away. watch out for the ammo. All right, okay. Yeah, to see at twice the height of the Twin Towers, you're looking out, and you're like, look, look, there's an big explosion looks like two city blocks just exploded i feel like it would look like a flash and that's it but okay so maybe she does i mean she doesn't seem like she sees it although in the next page it seems like it's there too in the bottom left hand panel right so it's a blaze but neither gene nor beast acknowledge it like hey you see that we should go check that out yeah it's weird (laughs) or not even like hey you see that i wonder if the avengers are gonna check that out I feel like it's more weird that it's lasting several panels than it is that <laughs> that they're not acknowledging it. Because, like I said, I, I wouldn't think they would even see it. It's just burning, and they're like, yeah, let's have a conversation. Let's have a two-page conversation. But the, Yeah, the way that it is drawn, that is quite an impressive burn-up. Yeah, I don't know. So Beast wants to know if Gene's going to take up Banshee's offer and go join the X-Men. Gene's like, what does it matter? We're all children of Xavier, X-Factor, New Mutants, Excalibur, X-Men. We're all one family. Oh, yeah, she does say Excalibur. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The heart of X- Professor X's dream, part of why he founded his school for gifted youngsters, and then the X-Men was to build a bridge. And here we are, 
living above it in our own world. So has Excalibur met up with X-Factor? And if so, why didn't X-Factor tell Excalibur that the X-Men are still alive? I feel like Nightcrawler and Kitty would want to know that. Because comics, Adam. X-Factor are a bunch of jerks. That's what I'm learning. I would bet that X-Men were like, hey, X-Factor, whatever you do, don't tell anybody that we exist. What about Kitty and Nightcrawler? Especially Kitty and Nightcrawler. So you're saying the X-Men are the jerks, not X-Factor. That and we don't necessarily know that X-Factor has met Excalibur. I feel like there was an Inferno issue where some things were happening side by side, but I don't think there was ever a moment where Excalibur walked up to X-Factor and were like, hey, let's fight together. So I'm guessing that X-Factor is like, hey, look, Excalibur's on TV. Isn't that Kitty and Nightcrawler? Weird. (laughs) Captain Britain, I read about him in the files. Yes, she knows that they're children of Charles Xavier. And then she's like, hey, Scott, who is that redheaded girl? And Scott's like, uh, mm, uh, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I keep track of every redhead there is. (laughs) Yeah. She she looks a lot like me. Oh, weird. I don't know. Just leave me alone. (laughs) We're not talking right now. (laughs) Not until you accept my marriage proposal. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're isolated and I guess Jean doesn't like it all that much. Living in our own private world, totally divorced from the greater one around us. Meanwhile, Mm. in the sewers, the magistrates are, are patrolling and Forge, who I guess has been holding his breath until two magistrates walk by, bursts up from the water and grabs them. He's probably got a gadget to do that. Oh, sure. Sure. Punches them both. Um, one of the magistrates takes him down, or is, is at least holding his own, pushing him down. Jonesy shows up. Put down that weapon, you're under arrest. And the guy shoots Jonesy, but um, she's all right. Because the, uh, does, does, does Forge even explain this? He does. Uh, I guess I guess it's just bulletproof. He says later on, uh, she says, uh, he hit me square. I'm not even scratched. Told you. So that's the explanation? Told you. Yeah, told you. <laughs> well, he says earlier, like, these, it's armor, it's, it'll keep you dry. So it's, it's building upon uh, previously established uh, elements. I mean, I buy it. Of course the X-Men's <laughs> uniforms are bulletproof. They would have to be. Yeah. Uh, Forge kicks his guy off of him, gets up. He, he looks crazy as he comes up from the water. Heard the gunfire. Was afraid of what I find. Turns out it was just Jonesy. Oh, I guess, uh, oh, she shoots back at the magistrate, too, which is a big thing here, because they talk yeah. about yours, oh, decked, yours, uh, I, uh, well, you know, it's that I, um, I never, I know, says Forge. I'm sorry I came to that, Officer Jones. Sorry you're still that. Before the night's out, you'll probably have to do it again. So, people be killing, and people be dying. Still don't know how Forge got into this mess. I mean, it doesn't matter in the end, but would like to know. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, they leave the sewers. The coast is clear, she says. They leave the uh, magistrates in the sewers. And um, actually, uh, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some back and forth between Forge and one of the magistrates. Yeah. Unless you'd rather join your friend, like 
in well, death, one, I guess. He does say, you're safe enough provided someone comes back before you're found by the rats or the giant alligators or the turtles. It would have been better if he'd been like, I'm just going to leave this pizza here. You know, something less less specific. <laughs> well, no, and made the turtles reference. Like, just go for the go for all of the references. <laughs> I hope oh, no like, teenagers like, come by and eat this pizza or turtles. Gotta go, dudes! Cowabunga! <laughs> yeah, watch out for the giant rat. Well, he does say rats, so he's got that covered. Um, so yeah, they they go up. Um, this is where I I'm now. Uh, questioning so everything that i read from here on out i thought was like a prologue or a flashback but it's not so now i think i'm as confused as you are well how did you get a prologue out of that well so the way this goes down is the magistrates are at the base of the ship and they've got a plan um pipeline is he's the modem guy right yeah He's wipe one out. man. Wipe. wipe out is the girl on the cover, I think. Oh, what, what? And we thought it was like Blindside or something. You said Blindside. Right. I said a, I said a whole lot of things that was not. <laughs> I said everything but wipe out. Eh, blindside, wipe out. They're both the same. <laughs> so the plan here, just to jump jump forward a little bit, is that they're going to disrupt. Ship is like an an organism. Uh, this mind wipe pipeline. What this? What's this guy? Wipe out. Oh, this is wipe out. This yeah. is the guy that made. Uh, Betsy Braddock lose his her powers when they went to Genosha last time. And 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 Rogue. And Rogue. Yes. Rogue more importantly. Yeah. And, and uh so he's going to attempt to use his same powers on ship because ship's got powers, it's kind of a living sentient being and they'll see what happens. So I'm thinking that okay, cuz the next scene we see Beast and we see Banshee and Peter Nicholas and Callisto and Jenny Ransom and Guy in the ship with X Factor. So I'm like, okay, Gene, Gene was like, hey, it's been cool chilling at this apartment, but we got this ship. It's safe. Let's just go there, everybody, and Forge. We'll all just go there. Uh, and I thought as I was reading this that this whole thing was going to lead up to all of these people getting captured and Forge escaping, but it doesn't. So yeah, I'm confused now, too. I thought this was the prologue I was talking about, but uh, okay. it, it is not. This is actually happening... Uh, at the same time as as the Forge Jonesy story. So I guess all of them who were in the last issue were like, hey, we're going to go to the ship, and Forge is like, "Uh, I'm going to go take a leak. (laughs) I'll catch up. And that's when the magistrates jumped him. And in the bathrooms, all of the magistrates were like ready to jump the X-Men. And he was like, oh, I'm on to your plan, you evil bathroom magistrates. And that's when he jumps out of the window, the magistrates follow him, thereby he saves the X-Men. Yes, and the bathroom is in a uh, six-story building, and he jumps out of the the, uh, window of the bathroom, and he lands on that car. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) I mean, Chris Claremont doesn't say it in this issue, but it's, duh. It's, it's, It's in the details. It's there. So anyways, yeah. Uh, that's what happens, by the way. The, the ship uh, wipeout wipes out some of the ship's powers, which, which opens up a window for Pipeline to transmit Punch-Out. Punch-Out, that's her name. Okay. <laughs> and uh, who is the guy with the tie here? Tie guy. Tie guy? Oh, he is uh, Hawkshaw. What? This is a new guy. Yeah, it's a new guy. Oh, okay. I think that's his, like, he doesn't have a mutant power. Oh, he says, just, 
I'm Hawkshaw. You people have property and it belongs to us. To the government of Genosha, we're here to reclaim it. I should do that from here on out. Like, anytime I enter a group of people, just introduce me myself as my code name. <laughs> I, I mean, I got to come up yeah. with a code name first. Uh, pod guy. I'm pod guy. And you have property that belongs to me. Give me that breadstick. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, of course, doing this at a, at a pizza restaurant. Yeah, always. <laughs> you spend most of your time at a pizza restaurant. I know this about you. Philip Moreau, that's Guy. He says, uh, Philip Moreau, I have a warrant for the arrest uh, on a charge of high treason leading to the theft of enhanced genetic module. And he's like, she's a person, Blast, you not a machine. Unit 4817, she has a name. You're wasting your breath. Gene lifts up the guns uh, out of their hands. Banshee screams at them. And uh, another magistrate that everybody forgot about, Dex Banshee in the back of the head. And uh, everybody's captured, uh, except for Beast. Peter gets tranked. Callisto just gets grabbed. Yeah, she's she's not able to fight anymore because she's so pretty. <laughs> That's right. And we know that Morlock Callisto would have, wouldn't have taken any of this. She'd be fighting yeah. back and she'd be like, you got to shoot me. <laughs> pretty Callisto's like, oh. Peter, help me. <laughs> um, Forge and Jonesy are now outside of the, uh, at the bottom of the ship, and they notice that there's some rumbling, and immediately Forge recognizes Wipeout. Must be doing something to X-Factor's ship. He recognizes uh, Wipeout because he's read the files. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He, he is, like, tapped into the files. He's probably got something to read the files to him in his sleep so that when he wakes up, he is fresh on the files. Just so that we're clear. <laughs> what do they care? Probably be long gone by the time the dust settles. Most likely we got to do something. No one will know what they did, so X-Factor will get the blame. Um, our chance to play the last scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's where they die, right? I haven't seen that movie. I Don't they go out saw, in a blaze of glory. Isn't that where a blaze of glory comes from? I saw that movie a long time ago, but there's also a Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid too. It's uh, the prequel. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I don't. I guess I don't know. I, I assume that they're riding to their deaths. I don't know. It's got to be sure. So uh, they have Jean Grey. Uh, captured and they've given her and presumably everybody else a uh, head belt that prevents their powers from well, you can't even control your bod much less your telekinesis looks oh yeah so they wrapped one on banshee's mouth so they're giving everybody individual ones nothing for peter though well they don't know that he's got powers that's true doesn't look like any jenny ransom although i guess they don't need it because jenny ransom listens to orders so, yeah, they're, they're solid. They got this. I don't know where Beast is anymore. Well, he he slipped away. Oh, he did? Yeah. There he is. There's a reason I don't know where he is. Yeah. Where's the monkey? Find him. We don't evac until he's he's neutralized. Least so long as Wipeout keeps the ship in his fugue state. And this is where I wonder, did the writers of Breaking Bad read this and get their ideas? <laughs> For Walter um, White's fugue state? I'm going to go with definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, So, he, but he's above them. So he uh, taps them on the shoulder. 
makes them look at one another and then smacks their faces together. It's very funny. Ha ha ha. I got a de- I've got a better idea, Hawk. Surefire. Red's an old pal, yeah? Founding member of the Gene Joke game. We play a bit with our bunch of fuzz but betcha fuzzy comes running. Well, I don't we never learn what the plan is. So this again leads into my theory that the magistrates are sexual predators. You, so you think that's what we we play a bit here with her means? We play a bit. We we play a like we're gonna let's play with her for a bit. Let's play a bit with her. I, I feel like it's worded weird. Yeah, I feel like punch out means like slap her around a bit, which I guess they could have said we slap her around a bit. <laughs> See, I feel like they're being coy because they're they're hinting at again that the magistrates are sexual predators. I'm not. Maybe. I'm not leaving this at them. Like th- that's it. That's what it is. You know what? Carry this to the end of the earth. I want to see every time the Genosians show up, I want to see if you can make them into sexual predators. I bet you I can. I'm sure you can, and I can't <laughs> wait to see it. I'm looking forward to this. Anyways, uh, Beasts punches a uh, sideswipe. Punch out. Punch out. Lift ticket. Sure, you should be able to remember punch out. It's, like, it's the stupidest name ever. Punch oh. out. It's like a... What does she do? She punches you out. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's only fair, Gene, that we've taken a measure of our guests that we treat them to the full measure of X-Factor hospitality. And he's, he takes the uh, belt off of her head so she can use her telekinesis. Um, Beast- cut back to Forge at mm. the bottom with uh, Jonesy. And uh, they're doing some sort of... You know, this is... okay. Astute listeners will realize that we've both slowed down a little bit. And I feel like it's because the second half of the issue is sort of a blur. Yeah. Whereas the first half of the issue was very clear. This is just everything. Things are just happening. And uh, so as a reader, like, I feel like I'm reading this for the first time, even <laughs> though I did read this yesterday. Yep. There's a lot of stuff in this, the second half of this comic. Um, Wipeout is there. He's, he's zapping the powers of the ship. Forge constructs like a little grenade of some sort throws it at wipeout it's a it's a based on dazzler's stroboscope stroboscopic stroboscopic flashbulb effect uh and even closing your eyes has no effect it's so bright and they're like we got 30 maybe 60 seconds to get in there so jonesy jonesy takes out wipeout kind of uh points her smith and wesson at her or at him rather and says freeze you have the right to remain silent. So presumably, uh, sh- oh yeah, sh- in, in the next panel, uh, Ship attacks Punch-Out. And Gene says, Ship, you're yourself again. And methinks none terribly pleased with what's transpired, says old beastie. Yeah. This doesn't feel like Chris Claremont's writing this anymore. <laughs> Maybe his nephew's ghostwriting it. I think so. <laughs> yeah, and they, they wrap this up. Pretty quickly, um, after X-Factor gets the jump on them, the police come. They've got the magistrates all on their knees, and they're like, you're under arrest for the murder of some cops and all this other stuff that you're doing. And then the chief of police shows up, as he always does, and says, cut them loose. Cut the whole stinking bunch loose. Cut them loose, Jones. The whole stinking bunch. But they're cop killers. I want your badge and your gun on my desk at 0900. (laughs) Uh, in this case, officer, not enough. Oh, look, they're cop killers, sir. Doesn't that count for anything? Not enough. 
And this is when Ice T's body count song Cop Killer starts flooding the streets. Do you remember that song, Adam? No. Oh, it's called Cop Killer. And the refrain is Cop Killer. Cop Killer. <laughs> cop Killer. Cop Killer. Cop Killer. <laughs> Something. Whatever I do, that's how I am. Cop Killer. You don't remember Body Count? I, I was never an Ice T guy. Well, I was um, never an Ice T guy either, but uh, Body Count was a heavy metal rap crossover. Like, I know. Uh, and I'm not talking about Run DMC, ACD, or uh, uh, Aerosmith. That, okay. Because that's, well, like, that's like stadium rock. Like, this I guess was Ice like. Ice was ahead of his time. I'm was, more familiar with Ice Cube and NWA and stuff like that, but I'm not, I'm not like a rap aficionado in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. But yeah, I do. I am not. I, I I am not surprised to know that Ice T has a song called "Cop Killer." I probably knew that in the back of my head because that's kind of what he's known for: killing um, cops. No, no. <laughs> Rap, <laughs> rapping, rapping about killing cops. Oh, okay. Um, um, yeah, I was a. I wouldn't say I was like a huge fan, but I had uh, I had the tape, and I listened to that tape a lot. And yeah. so a while ago, I was like, I remember Body Count. I'm going to go download that album. I mean, I'm going to go purchase that album legally and put it on my Zune and listen to it. <laughs> some, some, something along those lines happened. And I listened to it, and I was like, this is bad. Oh, is it? Yeah. Too- it, didn't, it, didn't, uh, it didn't hold up through the rose-colored glasses. And now he's a reality TV star. Yeah, and he was also on, like, NCIS or... Oh yeah, yeah, I don't know one of those cop shows, which is ironic. Most importantly, he played a kangaroo in Tank Girl. <laughs> you know what? I still haven't seen Tank Girl from start to finish. Oh my god, I love that movie. Yeah, it's like one of those guilty pleasures. Most people that most people that see that movie, I think, say that they like that movie. But I think a lot of people haven't seen that movie because it's they hard. they look at the cover or they they get a load of the notion and they're like, nope, I'm out. It it looks dumb as rocks, and to be fair, it is dumb as rocks. But it's like, um, I don't know, anybody who likes Harley Quinn of late, oh sure, probably would enjoy Tank Girl. Was Tank Girl an antihero? Yeah, kind of. I mean, she wasn't. She wasn't really. She was just always doing her own thing. She was. She wasn't. She wasn't good or bad. She just did her own thing, whatever whatever needed to be. She would go against the good if she needed to, and she would go against the bad if she needed to. She was out for herself Hmm. and her family. Well, anyways, (laughs) back in X-Foc Factor's tower, uh, so much for the system, says Jones. The Genotians don't even get a slap on the wrist. As far as our government is concerned, they were never here. Last night didn't hear, uh, or last night didn't happen. If I breathe a word about this, I'm on instant uh, suspension. But Beast is like, don't worry, I passed this story to Trish Tilby, so it'll get leaked. Meanwhile, over in X Factor, I'm not talking to Trish Tilby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's a it's an anonymous call. Nope, this is totally not Beast. But uh, this isn't some, Beast. <laughs> some para. Uh, this is Beast. I can tell. No, no, this isn't Beast. You're purring. I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I know about how these guys fought X Factor, but they totally fought X Factor. Beast was awesome. He kicked <laughs> some serious butt. He like escaped when everybody else was caught. This isn't Beast, by the way. No, not at all. Yeah. Anyway, so Jenny Ransom is not dumb anymore. She's like, and force the press gang to lie low, at least for a while. Instead of saying, uh, what was her line from the car issue? I don't know. Not know. Me sorry. Break car. <laughs> we yeah. friend? 
So I don't know. I don't know what the plan here is for for Jenny Ransom, but they're certainly not doing a very good job explaining what it is. Which is, you know, I mean, okay, now the precedent has been set. She goes dumb sometimes. Is what I, so I don't know if that's what the intention is, but from from like the few issues that we've seen Jenny Ransom, in one of them she was super dumb. So I guess the uh, the implication is at any point she can become super dumb. And I have no idea if that's what's meant to be, but okay. I yeah, sure. Or maybe this dialogue balloon was supposed to be, uh, Peter's dialogue balloon or something. Oh, that could be. Or whoever that is standing in the upper left hand corner is that Forge? I think it's Forge. Yeah. Okay. For or speaking of Peter, he says it's hard, my friend, to do anything. Cal. Oh, now she's Cal. Okay, Cal and I appreciate the folks or the help ex folks, uh, but we're leaving too. I'm an artist. The city's where I live and where I work. Well, at least for the last week. I can't do either here. Uh, your ship's magnificent, but to me, it's a prison. I don't know. seems like you could do art and probably, like, you could paint pictures of the city that nobody else has a view of. I'm just saying, artists work within their constrainment. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you're at the cloud level. Now you're painting buildings through clouds rather than painting clouds through buildings. It's definitely an angle that most people don't have access to, but... I have a theory about this, and I'd like to ask you it when we get to the end of the issue, which, okay. is, which is in a page. But uh, anyways, Gene's like, hey, uh, why don't you guys hang out with us? Like, we've got a pretty good ship. We could maybe find the X-Men. They, they talk about Colossus a little bit. Um, they're like, oh, Colossus doesn't remember anything. We should help him. And Banshee's like, oh, is this so bad? Like, look at him. He's happy. He's got a girl. Doesn't have to worry about any of this stuff. Yeah, let's let him be. Till then, uh, let's see, we need him, Sean. Well, then, we know where to find him. Till then, I say he's earned his happy ending. Next storm in two weeks. I have a question. Do you think it's at all possible that this was maybe supposed to be the happy ending farewell send-off of uh, Peter and Callisto? Because the end panel is of them two, like, we're, we're, we're off, we're out, and they're kissing. It's certainly possible. I don't. So d- does Colossus come back in the pages of Chris Claremont's X-Men or does he come back later? I don't know. So that that will color my answer, because if if he doesn't come back in the pages of Chris Claremont's X-Men, then yeah. I guess I don't remember how he comes back. So, yeah, I guess I guess we'll find out. But to me, like, you know, somebody wrote in uh, a little while ago and was like, hey, by the way, did you realize that? That Dazzler issue you read was supposed to be the farewell issue of Dazzler, her swan song, if you will. Uh, And I'm wondering, while this isn't necessarily Colossus's swan song, it does pretty much wrap up the whole, who is this girl? Who am I? Do I care? Eh, we're going to leave the city. And really... The the implication that Gene gives is that, you know, we'll let him be who who he wants to be right now. But if we ever need a Colossus... We're going to go get a Colossus. Sure. And that's that's comics, though. But this... Yeah. Yeah. So I guess always leave an opening. I don't know. I mean, Cause, I mean it's, certain, it's certainly possible. They didn't really close off Dazzler either. Dazzler's just like, okay, well, that's that. And then the issue ends. She's not like, well, I'm going to move to Hawaii, get married to this guy that found my movie. Uh, so start much over. so that we didn't even remember that this was Dazzler's last <laughs> appearance. I mean, part of it was like... I remember Dazzler was being there, like like Sean and Forge were going to go find Dazzler. They never did that. No, did they? no, they no. didn't. No, they got so sidetracked. I'm, I'm, I'm still expecting that to happen. Yeah, they're still on the hunt for Dazzler, but but as we've learned from our letters section, that's probably not going to happen. Because I think 
they're probably going to go find Storm, but I don't remember. And well, I'm only saying that in two weeks, Storm. I'm only saying that because the next issue is called Storm. So there you go, uh, X Men number two sixty four. There you go, indeed. Uh, more, more of Chris Claremont trying to flesh out Forge. I think I feel like maybe a little bit more successfully than the last issue, but still doesn't seem to have a have a grasp entirely on what he's doing, or at least I don't. Yeah, and I'm trying I, to think forward to like Extinction Agenda, where I feel like most of the stuff is supposed to pay off, and I don't even remember if Forge is a part of that. When does Forge stop feeling like he like okay so so initially Forge is brought into the series as a supporting character for Storm's arc, right? And so that's what I've always kind of thought of him as, uh, and now it feels like Chris Claremont is like, well, I gave you some backstory, which is what he does. I mean, that's what he's best at. He he gives these supporting characters their own fleshed out stories. But it feels like with now he's trying to turn Forge into a full-fleshed main character. And I guess, I mean, if you just follow a character long enough, they become a main character. Look at um, Guido. He, he becomes a character. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess anybody can become a main character. All you have to do is make them a main character and follow them long enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess seems like we'll, we'll see. Does this, does this continue? Does it work? I don't know. The best thing ever? Doesn't Forge become a member of X-Factor? Probably. I mean, there's like 8,000 teams coming up, so he's probably part of one of them. Hmm. Well, anyways, uh, yeah. If you want to help pontificate or or whatever, you can <laughs> by uh, joining us at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com, going out to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Twitter us at Danger Room Go or email us dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. You can also go out to iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found and subscribe, like, leave some feedback. Um, yeah, all sorts of good stuff. Uh, also go out to patreon.com forward slash danger room where the uh, Dawn of X series uh, we're covering over there uh, in great depth, uh, as well as a few other little surprises. Um, so check that out. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And uh, I read X Factor number 57. Did you know? I did. I took notes because uh, there's not much going on in this issue. This was a pretty straightforward issue. Um, there's a, a police officer. Here are the bullets I captured. If you want to like flesh, or flesh out some points, we, we can totally do that. Um, Jonesy and Chuck are the police officers here, and I guess as you confirmed earlier, this is the same Jonesy from the pages of Uncanny X-Men. I don't... Jean has sleeves, so I guess it's... Well, she's got... She's in her X-Factor uniform. Right. Oh, that, Totally different uniform. So I guess this is happening after? Um, well, yeah, this it's it's weird because it feels like it's happening before. But. Right. This is... Uh, also, this is... Uh, uh, a young penciler named Andy Kubert's doing pencils. I noticed that, which is, that's cool. It is cool. You, you're definitely seeing some young Andy Kubert here. Because uh, I'll, I'll, I'll... By Al Milgram, which, you know... I'll eventually come to... Because uh, Andy Kubert takes over X-Men or Uncanny X-Men or... I don't know, I one like of the major like, X-Books, and I always liked his artwork. In, Andy in and Adam Kubert are, like, doing the entire X-Line, I feel like, at some point. That could be. Um, Gene and Scott have a moment, but it's quickly ruined. 
where they look at each other, but then Scott says something or does something and Gene looks away. <clears throat> uh, Meltdown, the series you and I were just talking about, is is uh, is called back upon here. Because I think we had questions about... Uh, no, we didn't. It was confirmed that that was within continuity. Because there's some yeah. other things that that referenced Meltdown. But this is... Wolverine slicked his hair back and Forge or, uh, Storm made a comment about it. Yeah. Uh, and evidently the same poison that was used on Havoc and Wolverine, or at least Wolverine, was used on Angel. And that's why he's all crazy. Crazy in the sense that he thinks it's, what, 20 years ago or something? Or he just thinks he's the old Angel? Well, that's kind of the interest, probably the most interesting piece of this story. So all throughout this whole X-Factor run, last few issues anyways, uh, Angel's been, I, I feel like feral, like something happened and he went crazy and, and he fought um, Sabretooth for a little bit. Uh, then I think something else has happened and now he's got this weird delusion that he's young. I don't know if it's, so or uh, the... The Crimson Lady, yeah. the vampire Crimson Lady from last issue who encountered uh, Warren Worthington knows about it. So so I don't know if it's because she caused it or if she just knows about it because she delved into his brain. It's never completely explained or I, I missed it if it was. I feel like so in the last issue of X Factor. Oh, Jonesy was there, too, wasn't she? She's yeah. like uh, she's the one that interrupts the psychic vampire from absorbing all of Angel's pain or whatever. So I feel like the psychic vampire like absorbed enough of that feralness away to bring him back to consciousness, but left him still in a state where he wasn't entirely sure what was going on. And, and maybe cause there's even some scenes where he's looking in the mirror, a lot of mirrors in here. The psychic vampires can't see themselves because they're vampires. Anytime angel or archangel looks at the mirror, he sees Warren Worthington. And there's some really cool scenes here where he, he gets money from the bank because they think they're, he's robbing them. So he gets all this money and he's, you see Angel in the foreground, like, counting the money, but Angel in the mirror is counting the money and then putting it into his wallet, but then the next scene is the money all falling on the ground. I feel like this whole sequence could make a really cool sequence in a movie of a person who's uh, forgot their their identity and has thinks that they're something they were or something that they're not and is going through all the motions, but, like, everything they do is just, like, falling down. I like that idea. It is very cool. The only thing that um, I have a problem with is that they never, they never want, they never, they, after this happens, it's, and anytime it's referred to by another character, they just say, Archangel robbed a bank. And <laughs> yes. no, nobody ever says, Archangel tried to rob a bank, but then he dropped all the money. So everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I, they don't need to be, it just seems kind of weird that everybody's like, Archangel robbed a bank. Well, he didn't really rob a bank. I feel like it would be better if they just said he tried to rob a bank or he was involved in a bank robbery or, or something. Uh, or Angel was involved in an incident at a bank. Yeah. Right? Because if they were to review the tapes, right, because I'm sure there's bank teller tapes. I don't think there's anything that would indicate that. Other than this big scary mutant is in there, there's nothing to indicate that he's robbing the bank. But anyways, you're right. Like, for the sake of this story and the sake of 2D-ness, it's... Oh, Angel's robbing a bank. Um, the other thing that's weird is I, I, I can get behind like, oh, I got to go to the bank and I got to get me uh, get myself some money. And 
I'm, I'm Warren Worthington and I'm very rich and very important. But for some reason, he thinks he's got a board meeting. <laughs> and I'm like, at the bank. Yeah. So I'm like, is he, did he get zapped back to like a, a day back in like 1985 when he was Warren Worthington running Worthington Industries? Because that's kind of a neat idea as well. Like really in the real world, it's 1990 or whatever, but he's living in 1985 and, and all of the things he's seeing and all the motions he's going through are exactly the same from like a day he lived back then. That would be kind of a neat thing, but. That's, that's what I feel like has kind of happened. I wasn't sure if it was a specific day, but I kind of felt like that was more interesting. Yeah. Um, Beast thinks that Forge has a thing for Gene. Uh, by the way, it comes Forge, out of nowhere. Forge is in this issue. Because uh, I guess Forge doesn't even say anything. And uh, Beast is like, like oh, it's obvious. <laughs> Yes. It's like he hasn't said anything. He hasn't done anything. He said, what, where is this coming from? So a little earlier, um, the way Scott glares at Forge, so grim, and Forge has the same expression, makes sense. Cyclops only knows at this point Forge as the guy that shot a gun or designed a gun that took away Storm's powers. That's all Cyclops knows. So you can totally understand why Cyclops would be like, what is he doing here? Why is this he is wearing an X-Men uniform? To. That's, that's Absolutely. totally what I thought. All of that makes sense. And then even when uh, Beast is like, my oh my, you can cut the tension with a knife. You're like, all right, we're going to keep going down this whole Storm powers. But then he goes on to say, Forge is obviously attracted to Jean. We all see it. But what does she feel for Forge? It's up to Psych to say yay or nay, but we can be sure to use their help. So this is comics just forcing something down your throat, whether or not they're showing it or not. So, I mean, I guess it's true because it's what Beast sees. Otherwise, Beast is insane. But uh, <laughs> but they certainly don't show it to us. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to do this, I wish they would have played it up a little bit to be like to have a scene with Cyclops and Jean where they where Cyclops is like, boy, you you were away with Banshee and Forge for a long time. Uh, why is that? And Jean could say something that Cyclops misinterprets like, oh, Forge is a really interesting person. And then Cyclops could you know stupidly be like, what? Oh, my God, she loves Forge. Or just in this scene, you could have Forge have a like fairly intimate exchange with Jean Grey. It doesn't have to be anything. He doesn't have to like kiss her or anything, but it oh. could just be like, you know, the two of them have a quiet moment together off to the side and every, and, and Scott is like, what was that about? Sure. And that would make sense because of the, you know, the stressful and adventure that they just went right. through where Jean's arms were turned into tentacles. Of course you'd have like a new found bonding or closeness with that person. doesn't mean you want them. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. And I also wonder if that ever pays off. Like, does this ever go anywhere? Like, is this an ongoing thing that every now and then Gene and Forger in the same issue and everyone's like, oh, my God, are they going to kiss? Yeah. Or is this just like one and done? I, I hope it's one and done. <laughs> um, we get a, a super, super dope silhouette of Cameron Hodge's robotic head. Yeah, that was, uh, well, spoilers. It's, we don't know that's Cameron Hodge yet. Yes, we do. I mean, <laughs> if we've read Extinction Agenda, we do. But you're looking at his profile. He's got the, the Cameron Hodge curl. He's got the glasses. I guess you could argue that it's probably been 30 or so issues since we've seen Cameron Hodge. So some people may be like, that silhouette, it's awfully familiar. Who could it be? Well, in the context of this podcast, we haven't read Extinction Agenda yet. So 
fair enough, but it's a spoiler. Fair enough. But the head silhouette is reminiscent of Cameron Hodge, whether or not you know that the rest of the body. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's also the leader of the right. So Right. And he's also the dots. Yeah. And he's also talking a lot about Archangel and all the the stuff there and how he's gonna destroy him, destroy them all. So But it's not explicitly said, and I think that's I, I think it's supposed to be obvious to fans, but long time readers. Yeah. Sure. And we are long time readers. We've read them all. Oh my god, we are such long time readers. <laughs> uh and that's really all I have to say about X Factor uh until we get to the bullpen. Uh when I've got a lot of stuff to say about that, but Adam, do you have anything else to add to the X Factor story? Uh this is Candy Southern cameo. The uh Is the, it the dead Candy Southern is at the board meeting that Warren goes to. Oh, isn't that like a telepathic It's not really Candy oh, Southern, okay. but that's that's what uh dazed warren worthington sees yeah and then x factor jumps him yep yeah and how does how does this issue end Uh, uh, all the ravens show up and they steal uh what's uh um archangel away from x factor oh i mean we we kind of mentioned it but the the x factor and archangel are also being attacked by the right in their new snazzy non-smiley uh, uniforms. That's true. I did. I did skip that. There's a, a big fight sequence between right armor people. The issue ends with like a bunch of swirly stuff. Uh, the Ravens have Angel kind of in their power, and then like I don't know, thirty uh, Ravens show up, and the moon, which kind of looks like the Death Stars in the background. And one of these issues had a reference to Inferno that I thought was really interesting, but um, I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's a... Oh, man. I saw that, too. But I don't know if it was X-Factor or not. So talk about the bullpen, and I'll look for it in this issue of X-Factor. Um, Stan and other bullpen people have cameos in a movie called into thin air which stanley then says in this bullpen was renamed to ambulance and i had totally meant to look this up to see if this thing existed but i didn't <laughs> so i'm gonna do it now did, did, did somebody make a movie called ambulance in, wait i thought you said the movie was into thin air it, yes but uh, Stanley made a correction because so last month in the bullpen he said, "Hey everybody, you're gonna see your your favorite oh it is it's called the ambulance your favorite Marvel bullpen people in an upcoming movie called Into Thin Air by Larry Cohen." And in this issue he goes, "Oops, well due to editorial snafus, the movie is actually renamed The Ambulance." Gotcha. <laughs> and uh, it is. It's got. Um, it's got. Uh, Eric Roberts, James Earl Jones, Megan Gallagher, uh, Julianne Turner. Is uh, so? Is it a cameo or is it a full role? Uh, well, in the bullpen, Stan Lee says he has thirty seconds of screen time, but <laughs> okay, he didn't see the movie because he didn't know what it was called. So it's altogether possible that the entire Marvel bullpen could have been. A cut <laughs> but maybe not yeah so uh you know maybe maybe we check that out 
movie Stan Lee's actually in that movie. Sure. In, in the Wikipedia, it says full cast. All of those people. Stan Lee is there. Um, I don't see any other familiar names from the Marvel bullpen. So maybe when he talks about the Marvel bullpen, he means just himself. We can do one of our Dawn of X backups and mm. discuss it. If it, if it see if, if there's anything worth discussing. Uh, this month is the debut of Todd McFarlane's adjectiveless Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. 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 I knew that was coming. Yep. Uh, yeah. Which uh, immediately, I think, went for tons of money. And I don't know that I ever got my hands on a, a, a first print Spider-Man number one. Really? I don't know. Oh. Maybe I, I, I have all the yeah. other ones. And I definitely have a second, like a gold covered one, the second printing. I have the silver cover and the regular cover. Maybe I have the regular cover, but I think the silver cover at one point was like, ooh, that's like worth $10 ooh. or something like there, that. There are like some super rare ones that are definitely worth a lot of money. Um, I think there's like a, like a, maybe a newsstand one that's worth super amounts of money or like it's, it's newsstand, but it's, it has a specific UPC or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. It says, uh, into thin air, the new, Larry Cohen movie in which some of your favorite bullpenners play cameo roles. Hmm. So not that I would recognize anybody but Stan Lee. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I might recognize Larry Hama if he's in it. Sure. Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, Jack Kirby. There is a, um, I guess a, a um, what do you call it? A, a very special uh, episode of uh, or issue of Spider-Man and Kid or Skids in which it's a uh, child abuse prevention story or something like that. Yeah. Uh, dealing with child abuse, the comic will be just, yeah, the comic will be distributed through Kmart and given out free to any parent who asks for it, which begs <laughs> me like what? Like, unless you're a kid who's like, Mom, Mom, when you go to Kmart, make sure to ask for the Spider-Man Skids child abuse issue. <laughs> like, I does this thing exist, and, and can we get our hands on it? I don't know. <laughs> I was going to take a look in Marvel Unlimited. I doubt it's there. But it evidently, there's a Spider-Man and Skids Kmart exclusive issue from 1990 about child abuse. It's weird that it has Skids in it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think she had, uh, uh, I think maybe both her and Boom Boom, but definitely her. She was a victim of child abuse. Her her father, remember, there was a whole episode. That's where how she develops her powers. It's like he beats on her. And then one day her her force field goes on and he can no longer beat up on her. And, she, and he's like, you're a part of the devil. Get out of my house. Okay. Or something like that. And then there's like, there's some pearls and they go flying. And she's like, I can never pick up my pearls. And then Rusty and her are in the uh, Morlock tunnels and, and uh, Rusty puts together the pearl necklace and gives it to her. And they're like, together we can try. We'll be good together. Oh, what a sweetie. <laughs> yeah. You don't remember that issue? I vaguely remember it now that you bring all that up. It sounds, it sounds like something that I've read. Mask was playing with Rusty's face. Took away his mouth for a little while. That sounds like something Mask would do. God, that guy's a yeah, that's that's all I gleaned from the uh, the the Marvel bullpen. But it was, it was a fun bullpen read. So moving on, uh, <laughs> did you read Excalibur number twenty five? I did. I don't have a lot to say about it. 
there again the the uh, the thing about all the issues this this month or this week or whatever it was this period they all are very concise none of them are um <laughs> how do you say uh terrible like there's nothing that's like a mess so everything's pretty everything's pretty solid can can i draw your attention to to the page 2 where we get the full spread of galactus yes can you can you just take a look at the uh, the lighthouse, <laughs> and then can you put yourself in the mindset of a fourteen year old boy? Um, Granted, it's a little low, but yeah, I mean, it looks like his junk. Yeah, I, mean, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah, that's like Galactus's junk would be a larger lighthouse, but I think that would know. be the irony. Is like I am <laughs> huge, but then oh, but not not everywhere. And it's that, nice. That's why he makes of Galactus. That's why he eats the planets because he's got a. He's compensating. He's, he's <laughs> compensating. Uh, so the artist here is Chris Wozniak. Uh, Al Milgram's doing the inks. Uh, Al Milgram's just all over the place, inking like crazy. I, I wasn't his job was to just be a fill-in or an inker. I wasn't a I mean, huge. He's also like an editor or something. I wasn't a huge fan of the art in this issue, but I wouldn't either say either say that this art is bad. It's definitely of its own style and is definitely not trying to be anybody else see i thought it was like todd mcfarlane light or eric larson light i could see how you could get that yeah so like it's like it's like those two without the level of detail um facially it's very similar it just doesn't it's missing all of the lines and, and the detail um it's 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 you know it's very distant from those two but i feel like it's sort of after those two so galactus is here because phoenix must die the watcher shows up because he watches death shows up because somebody gonna die oh wait roma shows up and roma shows up too yeah you're right and roma turns into death so is roma death that that was the big question i had out of this one i missed that there's a there's a sound effect where like uh, crazy animal Excaliburs disappear and the sound effect is poop, which is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what page? So, okay. Um, so on the page where Death first shows up and turns into the Carpenter, remember the yeah. Carpenter? That that was the Carpenter from uh, X-Men Classic or Classic X-Men, one of the backup stories where Jean Grey yeah. meets the Carpenter. So, 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 so uh, I'm going to say no, but yes. So when this whole thing happened i was like this carpenter guy is here for a reason feels like something chris claremont would have thrown in classic x-men but i don't specifically remember him from classic x-men was he there when like phoenix sacrificed herself on the moon so the the story in classic x-men was after phoenix sacrificed herself on the moon she shows up on this grid sort of and there's this guy here who's just building stuff and she doesn't know what to do and eventually she realizes that he's death and i forget how it ends maybe she helps him out or something like that did that anyway. did that uh did that carpenter look like this guy like this guy looks like a 50 year old kind of heavier set gentleman i don't know that it looked exactly like this guy but uh he does say that I was with your mother talking to Rachel at the beginning and at the end. Yeah. Okay. So it has to be, um, it, 
a few panels where death we see different sides of death. Uh, we see him as the classic Grim Reaper. Uh, we see her as the Thanos death. I guess uh, we see her as the death from Sandman for some reason. <laughs> um, and but he starts out as Roma because when yeah. So Nightcrawler is talking to Roma and then Rachel comes down and says, yo, you guys, Alistair has you. And he's, she's talking to Roma Mm -hmm. and then Roma turns into the carpenter and then. It's not very obvious, but you're right. Uh, She does. Cause it's, so you see, I think it's the, it's the way that this whole thing is laid out in pace. Cause I completely missed that. I was like, ah, cause Roma also says like, uh, and no, I can't help. I'm only here to witness, and I can't aid you in your cause. So I'm like, all right, Roma's just watching this whole thing, and she'll pay off later. And then we see like the the kind of the back side of her face, and then we see the back of her. Although no, Roma then says, "Rachel, who is he?" So I guess, oh, so I guess Roma isn't Roma's there. So I don't okay, know. So I was I, I was confused. No, I, is, I don't. Is, are you sure? Yeah, because in in the in the last panel, um, the in the four, there's the four panels where we see the the carpenter first appear, and then there is a panel of half of Roma's face. Oh yes, beside yep. Phoenix's face. Rachel, who is he? Rachel, who is he? But I could see how you and, could see what you saw because the panel we see the back of Roma, we see the front of Jean or uh, of Rachel. Yeah. Then we see the back of Rachel. And we see the carpenter, but what I'm just noticing now is behind Rachel somehow is Roma, is Roma right next to Nightcrawler. So mm-hmm. everything is wrong about where all these people are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I was confused for a minute, but I am uh, I am glad we resolved that. This is like therapy. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for witnessing my uh, therapy. I appreciate it. Well, um, I think now you get a sense of like what are the most important things in this issue, and it was that. Uh, the other important thing is, uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, uh, Kitty is sent off to college by um, Courtney Ross. Kitty doesn't want to go, obviously. So I don't know why she is going, to be honest. Yeah, I guess um, for some reason Courtney says she has to. I and mean, she's just like, I don't want to, but okay. So I'm reading this and I'm like looking for the ulterior motive, right? Because the last issue of Excalibur... Courtney Ross is like, here's a car, and we're going to go drink wine, and we're going to dance all night, and aren't you having so much fun? And I'm thinking, this is leading up to Courtney Ross trying to break up Excalibur, and maybe it is, I don't really know. But I thought that there would be kind of like an evil wink, or an eye glint, or something to tell us, the audience, that she's like, of course you'll make a good student at that college. But no, this all seems very wholesome, like, yep, this is the right thing to do. And I think you it's still it to yourself. Is, but I, 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 I don't. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same same boat you are. So, so, um, but anyways, wrapping up the whole Galactus thing, I guess they decide to leave, let, let Phoenix live. Well, Rachel, Rachel sacrifices herself. Galactus uses his machine to kill Phoenix. Turns out Galactus can't sh- kill Phoenix because Death says sorry, but that doesn't work. Then Galactus says, "Oh, well, you survived, so." I guess good luck. Bye. <laughs> and then uh and then that's it. And then Phoenix is fine. Um Yeah, it's kind of weird that Galactus shows up and nobody's like, "Hey, Galactus was here." Yeah. Like, where are the Fantastic 4? Where are the Avengers? It's it's almost as if it didn't happen. Maybe it didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm 
we'll see what happens with uh, Excalibur, but I'm quickly losing interest. <laughs> I believe the next arc is called Girls' School from Heck. Uh, so yeah, maybe it, maybe it'll be fun. Wolverine 27, uh, all it has going for it, in my opinion, because I didn't really read the issue, is a nice Jim Lee cover. So I had this issue when I was a kid, as I had most of these issues when I was a kid, starting from six and up. And this is the period where, like, this is just bad uh, (laughs) as a kid. But rereading this today, and this is a four-parter, it starts the Lazarus Project. I read this today. Um, It wasn't bad. And I'm wondering if this four-part Lazarus project is going to go terribly off the rails and end in a abysmal pile of crap. Um, it still could, but all, all this issue really was was we caught up with where we were in Madripoor, which was fun. We find out the roles of Karma and uh, General Koi and Patch and Tiger Tiger and Jessica Drew and the prince of Madripoor, we just kind of figure out where they all are. There's this Lazarus project that uh, General Koi has secured in a small village, uh, that, and he's working with the prince. We don't really know what that's all about. Jessica Drew uncovers a fiendish plot of somebody working inside the palace, um, an evil lady scientist and a brooding shadow. And they have a giant robot. And they're planning to invade the village that has the Lazarus Project, I gather. Um, The robot's name is Pinocchio. It beats the crap out of Jessica Drew. Um, So Wolverine sends Jessica Drew and Lindsay McCabe back to the States and goes, he says, forget it. I'm Wolverine now. I don't even care about Patch. He goes into the palace. He attempts to fight Pinocchio. And he gets... Uh, acid in the face and he goes Aye! which doesn't seem like a Wolverine thing to do but okay um, then he says R on the next panel which makes more sense and he jumps out the window and uh, drowns and that's the last issue of Wolverine <laughs> does Lindsay McCabe and Drew carry do they know that Wolverine is Patch Patch is Wolverine yes Jessica Drew not Drew Carey yeah, that was, uh, yes, Drew Carey shows up for a cameo, <laughs> and it's like, I realize your patch and Wolverine are the same. Um, they they figured it out in, I think, the uh, the vampire thing. Oh. Or they, they said they knew all along, basically, and that it was pretty obvious <laughs> to pretty much everybody but Wolverine. You're just wearing an eye patch. Yeah. Buddy. He's like, well, why didn't anybody tell me? And they say, well, you're an angry little dude, so... <laughs> Uh, New Mutants number 90. I took notes on this one, too. I feel like Rob Liefeld is doing as is basically taken over this thing. Like, I I don't think Louise Simonson does anything but fill in the word balloons at this point. I think you're right. Sometimes I don't even think that I think like Rob Liefeld is writing most of it. And um, I think Louise Simonson is just touching it up because sometimes it feels decent and other times it feels like a child is writing it <laughs> i didn't i i'm i'm not, I'm not saying it's bad i there, it's actually like I, I bought the uh the epic collection that features this and um there's all these sketches by rob liefeld of his new character designs for the new mutants and they're really fun because like his he's clearly like very young mm-hmm. and 
and you can just feel that like the same way if like you or I were given a comic book. He's got all these ideas and they're all completely stupid. But <laughs> his enthusiasm is just so much fun that you're just kind of like, I don't I don't care that this kid's not, you know, he's obviously not a writer and that's fine. Um, but he's just got so much enthusiasm that like and I think that translates into the comic. So it's not like a bad thing that he's not particularly good at writing yet. But I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 fun. Whatever it is, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I, I am, I'm, I'm okay with these issues. Um, we'll see where they go, but notes I have here, um, cause not, not a lot happens here. A lot of, a lot of flashy pictures. You got some, uh, schematics of the mansion or, or what's left of it, but, uh, the new mutants are going to take hate, uh, refuge, I guess at, uh, was it Jean's recommendation? Like, Hey, you guys should just go take the bottom of the mansion. There is a reference to X-Men three, the issue that we just did two sixty four. Um, in which apparently Jean Grey and Cyclops gave the New Mutants advice. This never happened, so it's confusing. I've... Cannibal says, Jean Grey says the sub-basement is still intact and that Forge and Banshee even left the lights on, see X-Men 264. So I guess it's just referencing a conversation that never happened. And... Uh, I think it's just referencing the fact that something... Wait, we just read 264. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, I think they're they're meaning like an adventure happened in 262, 263. Right. Not that think, anybody in those issues were like, hey, Cable and the New yeah. Mutants should go hang out here. Yes, I, I think they were referencing the fact that yep. the, the lights are on. So, um, it, and then uh, another converse, like Cable says, Cyclops suggesting that we lie low there was well taken. Yeah. So maybe something was supposed to happen, but it never did. That's fine. Uh, yeah. But there was also, I think, in the last issue of X Factor, somebody on panel or on comic told him, like, you guys... Yeah, it was in the last issue. Moira was like, "Cable, you should take care of the New Mutants." That's what I'm yeah, thinking of. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was in that was in New Mutants. Yeah, that, I, yeah, it was the last issue of New Mutants. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, that's what they're doing. Uh, they're 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 going to go play with the danger room and all the stuff that's in the sub levels. Um, some takeaways I've got from this: Richter blames Cable for the death of his father for some reason. I feel well, he's like he's not. He's, he's not specific. He doesn't specifically say the death of his father. Just the loss of his, he, like he says it in sure. a specific way that you don't. I, I guess I inferred death. I also think we know where this is going. I don't think it's revealed until is it X Factor one hundred or ninety nine? I think this is a okay. strife tie-in, but I don't remember. Oh yeah, probably. So um, Cable also mentions that he lost his son. I have that as a note. Cable has <laughs> a son who he lost? Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> now wait a minute. Uh, there are TIE fighters in the danger room. It's pretty dope. Yep. Uh, a note I didn't take, but somebody, I think it's Cannonball, says in the danger room, he says, like, this is all Shi'ar technology. Everything's very realistic. I feel like this is the first reference to Shi'ar technology in the danger room. No, it can't be. I feel like it is. Because I feel like I we've been talking be. about this. Be. I feel like we've been talking about this since like day one. And we're like, we're going to wait for this reference. And it's never come. At least that I can remember. The, it's also in a lot of it in the schematics, which, by the way, I love a good G.I. Joe style schematics. Oh, man. Old schematics of the pit. Loved yeah, it. man. Oh, you're right. Shiar holographic cool. uh, projectors. Shiar power tap and isolation sleeve. So this is definitely like 
uh, uh, Rob Liefeld drew all of this. He's like, oh man, it's going to be so cool. There's going to be a Shi'ar power transducing room with a power tap and isolation sleeve. So cool. Cerebro and case files backup computers. So now we know that there are files. Sure. It's official. Yep. Uh, and so I wonder how much of this will actually like remain in canon or if, you know, if Rob Liefeld like, like, this is my, these are my limits. Like this is my backstory. And anytime I ever need to go to the mission planning room, it's going to be here. <laughs> but anyways, um, I don't know. I think by the time they get to X-Force, don't they have their own magical layer or something like that? Probably. So I, again, I, I, I don't have conclusive evidence or conclusive proof, but I, I feel like this is the first mention of Shi'ar technology in the danger room. Okay. I, I, I could swear that. I think that we've just been talking about it so much. I could swear that the first time that we talked about holograms when it was upgraded to be ridiculous, somebody said something about Shi'ar technology, but I, I'm not going to go back and look. So <laughs> that I will leave up to you, fans. Yeah, somebody, if somebody can conclusively uh, provide that, that information, I would love to hear it. Because as I, far as I'm concerned, this is it, people. I think it's in an issue of New Mutants. Could be. And I don't Not pay much attention to issues of New Mutants. So if, it's, if, it's an, if it is in an older issue of the New Mutants, I buy it. But if it was in an older issue of Uncanny X-Men, I, I can't buy that. Because I, I feel like I've read those too, too often, too many times. Why um, does... Uh, sunspot wear a woman's bathing suit in the <laughs> danger room. These are their exercise togs. They're workout gear, and they're they're all fine. I mean, Rob Liefeld draws some terrible legs. Um, you've but, got you got Boom Boom in like a body glove, which makes sense. You've got Cannonball. He's got a tank top and some shorts that go probably a little too high. Um, you've got uh, Rain. She's she's wearing like a halter top thing and, and some shorts. It's all fine. Richter is in his dude gear. And then Sunspot is in a Lee uh, unitard. Okay. <laughs> because it's, it's, I guess he's an athlete, I guess. Um, weird. It it, is, it's just, it, it, maybe it just looks weird. I mean, is this a thing that is done? I think if you look at the, no, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, people, yeah, like weightlifters and stuff wear unitards. I mean, this is, Definitely okay. a uniform of certain male athletes, even though it looks like a one-piece bathing suit. <laughs> um, maybe they don't go so high up on the hips, but um, I think when you see him in his sunspot state, it looks okay. Yeah, no, the the new costumes, with the exception of Boom Boom's super short skirt, are are pretty solid. Yeah, um, yeah, he. Uh, uh, Sunspot's got full pants in that, and they all have this similar uh, crotch area. <laughs> but that's the unifying element of the outfits is they all have similar crotch areas. Cable also seems super measured here. He's like, I would order him back, but this isn't the army. Why get into a battle of wills where we'd both be losers? The new mutants risk their lives in battles because they choose to do so. That is their great strength. I'll talk to him later, quietly, when we're all alone. I just feel like this is a note that Rob Liefeld passed to uh, Louise Simon. It's like, oh, and then Cable like wants to go after Richter, but he's like, well, I shouldn't do that because this is the military, you know? And then uh, 
he, he says, well, I, I still got to get Richter to like follow my way. How am I going to do that? <laughs> I also feel like when this was done, um, Rob Liefeld circled all of this dialogue, sent it to Louise and wrote no. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, like this isn't the cable that we know going forward. But anyways, uh, Richter, oh, cable uses Cerebro. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, does that mean that Cable has latent telepathic abilities? Not as far as we know. Yeah, so but I guess we'll find out. We do know that only telepathic people are able to use Cerebro unless you're sitting next to the phone like Cyclops, listening to the <laughs> constant beeping of Cerebro. Yeah, well, you know, Cyclops has had enough training in Cerebro. Oh, that... Cyclops never wears the helmet. He s- sits next to the phone right, right. <laughs> that beeps. So he can yeah. read the beeps. Yeah, but, he, uh, he knows how to read the beeps. Yeah, but uh, Cable's full-on got the helmet because he's trying to locate the Mutant Liberation fund Front. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing at all. <laughs> he's just like... He's just like, oh, I'll just put this on. Mashing buttons. And he's like, ah, this is, uh, oh, and the kids are here. I better act like I'm doing something. Yeah, guys. Like, uh, what's going on? Oh. Yeah, oh, let me take this thing off. It's, it's, it's in my way. Uh, oh, my gosh. Richter, let's go. Uh, so Richter does head out into the Morlock tunnels. They do talk about earlier in the issue, like, we got to stay out of those tunnels. They're super dangerous with, uh, like, freaky, deranged Morlocks. So, Which is dumb. The yeah. whole thing is dumb. <laughs> so Richter's like, I'm going to... Why does he do this? He says, I'm so, going to prove... So Richter has a bad experience in the danger room. Oh, he can't stop get out of hand, And he reacts to it by being like, I'm going to go and uh, kill Mask and the Morlocks and sh- I'll show the new mutants not to be afraid. I'm not afraid. Silly. And then he gets attacked. Well, Caliban shows up and Richter's like, Caliban, buddy! And he's like, the Caliban you know is no longer here. And Sabretooth shows up, and he's like, I'm going to kill both of you. And uh, so now the new mutants are going to go into the tunnels with their new costumes. And that's that's where we end. So he says, uh, Richter says, you ran that sequence. You set me up. And then in his head, he says, like you did my father. Right. And then Cable says, if I push him too far now, I'll lose him, as I once lost my son. <laughs> Yeah. So so definitely Rob Liefeld's like, I wanna put like a lot of I wanna put like a lot of drama in here and a lot of mystery. So let's say that Cable did something to his father. And let's say Cable's got a son. Maybe the original uh idea for the story was that they were supposed to like find a, a natural father son balance. In a few issues. Be like, you're not the monster I thought you were. You're the son I never had. Well, Oops. The, the New Mutants are, to uh, Richter's point, just following Cable around like little sheep. And they're like, yes, sir, this, sir. Is that okay, sir? Okay, sir. So Richter's not wrong. Right. This guy kind of shows up out of nowhere, and now all of a sudden they're following him everywhere. He says... And he thinks to himself, Cable, with his new uniforms and practice sessions, has stolen them from me the way he stole my father. Oh, and then, uh, yeah, earlier in the issue, uh, Cable's like, look at this library. All right, everybody, make up your own curriculum. And we're going to meet every week and we're going to talk about what you talked about because books. Yeah. 
and it's dumb. <laughs> well, it's dumb because I don't think it ever goes anywhere. It's like in in the original X Men or even New Mutants, we definitely had scenes of like, oh, we got to do school stuff, and and now we're gonna fight a battle or whatever. Uh, and I feel like uh, Rob Liefeld wants to do like a Professor Xavier Cable thing, yeah. but it, mm-hmm. I, as far as I'm aware, like they don't go back to school. Maybe yeah. they do, but I don't think they do. I want each you to design your own curriculum and clear it with me. Heavy on the three R's, plus history and government, geography and hard science, plus psychology. (laughs) Basically, I want you to know everything about everything. (laughs) And then you'll be prepared to deal with the harshnesses of this world. Take it from me, Cable, who was in the army, knows Moira McTaggart, lost a son. And happens to, does he know Magneto too? Or I don't know, maybe making that relationship up. We'll find out in the next few issues who he knows and who he doesn't know. Definitely he knows, like, Freedom Force, and Freedom Force knows him. Yep. But, uh, anyways, Marvel Comics presents number 48. Uh, Got two stories in this one. Eric Larson artwork for the Spider-Man Wolverine story, which I, I kind of thumbed through. Yeah, this was, there's just, it's super simple. Uh, yeah. Spider-Man sees Wolverine, thinks he's dead, so he goes and attacks him because that's stupid. And then after the Wolverine defends himself, he's like, why did I do that? I'm so stupid. <laughs> I do like that because it's like every time I, this happens, it's a misunderstanding and I just go in for the attack. When will I ever learn? It's like, it's good, fine. finally. <laughs> somebody re- somebody realizes it. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to do something, but we never really find out what. A girl's been kidnapped. Yeah, and they, get, they get caught at the end of the issue. Uh, and then the the storm issue or episode, uh, Storm sees Doctor Doom. Initially, she thinks he's defending a. Uh, this is the Inferno reference. Uh, Storm's flying okay. around, and she's like, "Oh, it's so good to be flying around and and wash that Inferno off of me." So I, okay, so I think that's there just to place this in time. Yes. All right, so that makes sense. And wash the, from my soul the still lingering fate of Inferno. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which if you didn't know what Inferno was, you'd be like, what? <laughs> well, it helped me because I'm like, when does this take place? And then she references Inferno. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's like a day or two after Inferno. So Dr. Doom is defending, she, she thinks Dr. Doom is defending a uh, power plant of sorts in the middle of the forest that is causing acid rain. Uh, so she attacks him. And then it turns out that he was actually trying to destroy it. Um, and then they get attacked by tanks and they help each other out. And um, that's it. They, they win, of course. Oh, there's an interesting thing at the end where the there's the implication that the storm uh, takes the use of, I don't know how to put this, uh, nature itself that typically storm controls reaches into Storm and kind of controls her, controlling it to strike specifically on the power plant. It's like some Inception stuff there. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, Storm's actions result in an awesome paroxysm, yet Doom senses something even more awesome that the enraged elements are using Storm, for though their power has always been greater than man's, it has been impotent. Because it had no focus. Storm's plea has given that focus. And now, after decades of devastation, the elements of nature are now getting a little of their revenge. So nature can use Storm as a conduit to allow them 
to use itself with more focus, which is weird. Why can't they just have more focus? But okay. So it was interesting. It's different. Sure. Never never heard of that use of Storm's powers before, but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, that is it. That's all of them, everybody. That's all the uh, X titles for this period of time. Two weeks is all two weeks now. Uh, I have a I have a a spoiler that okay. I want no a preview a teaser on on a Patreon episode that will follow this. Okay, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about something that <laughs> we're gonna talk about something dot dot dot. That's guaranteed. We're gonna talk about something. <laughs> we're gonna talk about something that. Adam asked me to do months ago. I've finally done it. I don't even know what he's talking about. And I've got questions. Okay. So that is a Patreon teaser. I don't know which one it's going. I guess, uh, do we know what, what could possibly follow this on the oh, Patreon? The, the, the order of these things are just all messed up right now. So who knows? Darn it. <laughs> Heck, it might have even uh, dropped before this episode. But either way, yeah, that'll but be we fun. Can, we can be sure to reference this episode when we do it. Yes. So that we'll know when we're doing it that this is in reference to that. So you might have to listen to all of the Patreon episodes to figure out which episode we're actually referring to. And therein lies the double gimmick. I think this will drop in order. I feel like I, it. I, I don't know, though. I don't know either. I hope so. So anyways, you got that to look forward to. Both the audience and Adam. Woohoo! All right, well, I don't have anything else. Do you? I don't have anything else. Great. Until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. The Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.